the amount of innovation is going up. And GraphQL looks like a very cool technology to use. Doing this will result in less code errors, you will have less bugs. Interesting to mention that GraphQL has a lot of different implementations on a lot of different languages. Your graph or your data definition is very domain driven. Uh, you usually will do it wrong the first time. Hey everyone, welcome to the Bol.com Tech Lab podcast. We share our experience with you. Peeking behind the screens of IT and tech in general at Bol.com, the largest e-commerce platform in the Netherlands and Belgium. We are sharing our approach to IT, e-commerce and retail platforms. The hosts of the show, Peter Paul van der Beek and Peter Brouwers. Yeah, great that you're listening. Today we have an interesting uh, topic again. Okay, I'll give it away. It's GraphQL. And I think that's uh, an interesting way of communicating uh, both from front-end and from other ways with, uh, with services. Uh, so, uh, yeah, different from uh, REST APIs, but we'll dive into that. Uh, what about you, Peter? Yeah, what about me? This is uh, this is a tricky one. Yeah, for what I know, GraphQL uh, stands for a Graph Query Language. And I also learned that it's uh, writing the query on the front end. But so far, my knowledge about uh, this uh, specific topic. So I'm really curious uh, uh, yeah, what it is about, how, would, how do we use it within Bol.com, uh, and why you should use it, all those kind of questions. So uh, yeah, let's dive into this subject with, uh, with the two, two guests of the show. But it's about time to introduce them. Yeah, and that's, of course, uh, Peter, always why we have always uh, experts in this field and we are just asking questions. Eh? <laughs> that saves our day uh, always. So uh, today we have uh, Albert Grootheden. He's a software engineer from uh, Frontman. Uh, used GraphQL uh, both on front-end and back-end services at several clients. So he will be representing the what's all happening outside of Vol.com uh, kind of view. Uh, and we have Eduardo uh, Gomez, he's a software engineer uh, yeah, at Bol.com, uh, worked on several uh, functional areas at Bol.com, and he's mainly used uh, GraphQL on the, on the back-end side. So let's, uh, let's start, uh, gentlemen. What's, yeah, uh, Albert, how did you come across uh, GraphQL and why did you think it was interesting? Yeah, so uh, mainly I was um, at... Um clients before uh, before GraphQL was uh, was even a thing and I was thinking well why isn't there anything that looks like uh, the way we implement uh, backends like um, the the maybe some of you guys know Express.js where you say use and then you put in some middlewares and they will just respond accordingly to that request and I was thinking how can we make the same thing but then for data um, actually at that time Falcor.js was from Netflix uh, it's also a, a, let's say, query language or, or way to query a graph or to represent your data as a graph. And um, during that time, I also discovered GraphQL, which is uh, about uh, five years ago now, I think. And uh, it really clicked with me that it's a, a very natural way to describe your data, but also to request your data. So both frontend and backend have, uh, yeah, have a very positive way of of working with data in an explicit way and that's the i think the power of graphql it's it's made been it's been made very explicit about what you can get and what you are asking and that uh, yeah that really resonated with me awesome and this again sparks a lot of questions but i want first to know from eduardo what what what's his story with this how did you come across uh, graphql and why did you think it was interesting okay hello thanks 
So yes, I came across with GraphQL three or four years ago. I was working on a project uh, within Ball.com and a colleague of mine mentioned, hey, why don't we use GraphQL for this project? Um, and, and we were like a, a lot of people at that time trying to deprecate like a big monolith system, which had some, some advantages. Of course, a lot of disadvantages. That's why we wanted to, to move forward. Um, and GraphQL looked like a very cool technology to use because it gave us a lot of flexibility instead of going in the direction of creating a lot of complexity with, with REST. Um, that was the first time I, I, I came across it and, and I would like to say that's where our romance started because I have used it since then for three years or four years already and learning a lot, experiencing a lot and, and also finding a lot of new ways to, to do things. And that's that's all. Yeah, awesome. So. Just for the for the listeners who are relatively new to the subject, uh, Peter already uh, explained that it's a query language, but more from the experts, what's GraphQL? If I may say, Albert, <laughs> I think GraphQL brings us uh, something comparable to REST, while REST is a technology where we are exposing endpoints that have a certain functionality and we can iterate through some entities. In GraphQL, we only have one endpoint, and what we are going to do is to express like a query and that, that we would like to, to, to fetch from the server. And that is mainly the, the, the main difference. Yeah, maybe to add to that, I think uh, the main difference is where you have, let's say, um, REST, which says resource-oriented, so one object-oriented. You get one type of object from one endpoint. Um, GraphQL is more like you are presenting a query to the whole database. So you can uh, ask from the whole database where, what you want to uh, to retrieve. But this is not on a database level, of course, but then on an API level. So it's like exposing everything you have, all the data that you have in a graph form. Exactly. So so the, so the, the information that, that is being made available is uh, is broader, is in most cases uh, spread over multiple objects. Is that correct? Yes. So, so what GraphQL offers is a specification uh, that allows. So GraphQL is not an implementation. Maybe that's good to to mention first. GraphQL is a specification that allows you to uh, describe um, your endpoint, your GraphQL endpoint, and it describes how to uh, describe your graph, so your data model, and it will then uh, prescribes how your resolver, so the the thing, the, the the functions that get the data from multiple sources, how they should do that. And it's it's really hard to explain without an example. So I would strongly suggest uh, look at the the Apollo GraphQL, which is the main organization behind the uh, uh, GraphQL, to see what the expl how how, do, how does this look like, because that really clarifies a lot. Exactly, and and if I understood correctly from 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 looking there, then given that, that this is more like a query language that you can basically determine what kind of input uh, parameters you want to use, which is not the case, for example, when using REST, uh, and also specify what the output will be, uh, or the output uh, parameters will be, which is also not the case uh, with REST. Is that correct? Yes, this is uh, yes. this is definitely correct. So you, you specify based on, um, like with SQL, you can say, I want these five properties, from this table and joining into that, I want some relations. 
Um, this is what you can do to an API. Instead of to a database, you can do the same thing to an API. And then the API validates your query, so what you want, and it validates it to a schema. And the schema is then definition of your endpoint. And then based on the schema, it will execute a set of resolvers. So the query combined with the schema will lead to an execution path in the resolvers. Exactly, and given that it's it's more uh, bounded or restricted than just querying a database with, with SQL, that you can more optimize for all its uses uh, in advance, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Hey, what, what, besides the, the point I just mentioned, what's what's the uh, yeah the largest difference with uh, yeah a general query language like SQL? I, I guess maybe the specification is different because uh, mm -hmm. SQL is just a language where you are trying to have with this select from where like a clause. And here what we are trying to do is if you think on a model, on a, on a data model, we are just determining the fields that we want from that model. And of course, you can establish graphs if you say within this model, there is like a nested model and that would be like a sort of graph and that 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 is where the name comes from so that that is the analogy because you are in the end querying is just a different way of querying while in the first you are selecting like selecting some some sort of data in the second what we are what you are trying to do is to define with this graph model the information that you need in the graphql perspective you cannot say i want to join certain tables to each other because that doesn't exist only the schema can say which objects or which type have relation to other types. Actually, and these relations determine the graph. It's not necessary to have a graph database underneath, right? No, no, it's it's completely database agnostic. It's even more so that you could have multiple microservices behind your graph layer, your GraphQL layer. Exactly, and then the, the, the GraphQL would be like a composite service that fetches data from multiple services. So we have, we, we solve one of the problems that we didn't have uh, with the monolith, as uh, Eduardo was already explaining. Exactly. Namely, that we could basically query over an enormous set of data because it was all in the monolith. Yeah, yeah. But it's, that's one of the things that's, that's solved there, right? That was exactly our use case. You, you can use GraphQL on many different ways, uh, but that was exactly our use case. In the past, it was very easy to go to this monolith server and go into the database and then write a SQL query. But the moment that you start splitting this into small microservices that by all means are great because you can deploy them, you can update them easily and change the model easily, but then you cannot join them easily. And then uh, GraphQL helps a lot to for us, or it helps a lot for us to, to make this extra layer on top of the microservices and, and aggregate this information thanks to a composed model of different sub-models that are connected to each other. Yeah, but if you use the, the GraphQL towards different APIs, yeah, because you said, okay, we split up the monolith, so you have different uh, services, so you have different APIs, so you mm -hmm. have to define different uh, uh, interfaces, I think. Then the, the joining part and the, the functionality part, that's done in, in the front end, right? That's that's triggering the... The, the, aggregating, the aggregating part happens on the service that has the GraphQL, the, the GraphQL server side. So the, for the microservices, it doesn't make any change if you are using a GraphQL on top of them or if you are querying them or calling them from a normal service. The GraphQL server is the one that is aggregating the, the, the information. 
Yeah, so I think uh, a lot of companies are using, uh, they have a microservice landscape, and then in front of that, they have a uh, backend for frontend sometimes, and that one that will aggregate data based on not resource-oriented specifically, but they will aggregate data based on the client needs. And I think that's that's where GraphQL, what the power of GraphQL lies in that area. That's one of the use cases, at least. There is also, for example, if you think on a, I, I will put a couple of examples, but if you have like a model of an order, an order is the entity, but you want to fetch the delivery part, which could be considered a part of the, of the order, uh, if you think on the microservices landscape, maybe you have potentially a microservice with the order information and another microservice with the delivery information. So if you make a REST implementation, it means two calls, one for the order, one for the delivery information. While if you think on a possible GraphQL implementation, you only need to do one query, the order that contains inside the delivery information. And yes, internally, there are will be two calls, but for the clients of this GraphQL service, there will be only one call. So you reduce somewhat the, the, the complexity. In this example, uh, there, if you talk about two services, uh, all, both with their own database, then you have to build on top of that one uh, API service, so to say, mm -hmm. and that one is is doing the GraphQL backend side, and then you have the front end that has to do only one call uh, yeah. towards that, that API. Yeah. That is indeed one, one possible solution. Um, maybe it's also interesting to mention that GraphQL has a lot of different implementations on a lot of different languages, so you could do this on the backend exactly the way that you mentioned, and it's exactly the way I, I, I use it in, in Bold.com, but it also has a lot of potential on front-end side, so you can have like a small front-end that is doing this aggregation, putting some intelligence on the, on the, on the front-end part, and you can skip some of these uh, layers, so to say. Yes, and that's really neat. Maybe I can go into that because if you have a GraphQL front end, or let's say if you don't have GraphQL, but you still want to have something uh, that will aggregate your data in a sensible way, what you can do is you can uh, make your GraphQL client execute the. So maybe that instead of having this GraphQL um, layer on the back end, you can even have this GraphQL layer on the front end. And then inside your uh, features, let's say that require data, you can fire GraphQL queries to this GraphQL layer on your front end and use the power of GraphQL to aggregate this data and make it into a more sensible model. So let's say, let's take an example. For example, you have a, a website with blog posts and you want to list all the blog posts and you want to list all the authors, but you also want to list the company that the author is working for. Uh, in a REST way, you would uh, have to first list uh, a set of, uh, so first you would, do, you would do a call to a posts endpoint. Then for each post endpoint, you would do a call um, to the author. And then for each author, you would do a call for the company. So that's three calls and uh, multiply that by the times of the posts. And then you have a bunch of calls. Yeah. Um, after that, you have a, a, a tremendous set of data, so uh, 20 blog posts, 20 authors, 20 companies, and then you need to um, format this data so it can be used properly by your front end, so you can just iterate over it, because your 
blog post page is nothing more than an iterator, right? It iterates over your blog post and inside a blog post you want to have a property named author and inside the author you want a property named company. And this is traditionally you have to loop over everything. You have to, you know, put the proper um, response from that particular response into the object on into your JSON object to make a nice graph. Uh, but if you use GraphQL inside your front end, you can abstract that away. So you define what is what are the parts of your model. So that's the definition of your schema. And then on each property of that part, you say, okay, for each individual property, I will do a REST call. So even though you are not using GraphQL on the back end, you can still have benefit on the front end because this uh, doing this will result in less code errors. You will have less bugs where you, you know, maybe you have one array that is uh, index zero and the other one is uh, one based for some reason. I don't know why, but could be. And then you have to do all this sort of calculation, make sure that you put the right author in the right post, post, etc. And this is also something that you can relieve your front end with, or at least the front end development. Yeah. So this is this is one of the benefits of the use of GraphQL, the, the front-end development part. What are more benefits? What, uh, why would you choose for uh, the use of uh, GraphQL? I think in the, actually Albert used a very good example because uh, if you think in this author and books, uh, but you have like different devices using this information, think on a laptop or on a smartphone, actually you don't want to have like uh, maybe all the information on the smartphone view of you of your web page you only want to have like a small small subset of information maybe just the title maybe just some information certain information while while you are accessing the same website on the laptop you want to get the whole information about the book and about the author so yeah, if you think on rest again you can overload the endpoints and create like a small author view endpoint or something like that but think now on the tablet. Now we have a tablet. What are we going to do? Add a new third endpoint. So this doesn't scale up. And that's why uh, the GraphQL solution is way more scalable because you can just choose the fields on the client that you want to solve. And in my opinion, that's another very strong point of the GraphQL option. Yeah, so let me check if I understand it correctly. On the server side, you only have to program one uh, interface then and then, then you're done and on the client side you have to think okay what 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 uh, device okay. am i on to select what what fields to uh, to choose okay. so what information to to retrieve who's documenting what what can be retrieved is that also within this api or not yeah How does that so, work? so the graphql spec defines that you have to have um, definition of your schema so unlike REST, where usually it happens after the fact, based on code that you have built, you generate a Swagger or OpenAPI uh, definition. That's your definition. Yeah. Exactly. You define your schema upfront, which is uh, mandatory in the case of GraphQL, because the schema also defines how the resolvers, so the code that retrieves data, should be implemented. So let's say you have the, the blog post and the author, etc then the blog post will first will be the, the, the root, let's say, of your uh, query. And then inside blog post, you will have author. And if 
and that is and that's also the flexibility of implementation if um, the query requests the author only then it will execute the author resolver if you have implemented that it should be a separate resolver you can also say well it doesn't cost anything more because we have it in the same table the author with the blog post which is doesn't make sense uh, probably but let's say you would have that and you could query the data in one run, then it will just be eliminated from the data that has been returned to the client. So that's why the schema is very important. The schema defines how it looks like, what it looks like, but not how the retrieval of data is being executed. So that's actually where the definition starts with, with the definition of your schemas in the... Yes, most of the time, yeah. yeah. Another example of uh, another uh, purpose of GraphQL in in my experience is when you are refactoring. So let's say if you're so one is the the optimization on the front end. You know you have less data over the line. You have to make less calls. Your calls are being done on the back end, so it's faster. Another another um, example of 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 a use case is when you have to refactor your back end. So the nice thing about GraphQL is your graph or your data definition is very domain driven. So it's really it, it really ties into your business use of the of the the data and if you define it that way then you can uh, you have basically uh, a layer and uh, a facade in front of your data and then you can refactor everything that's behind that and that is also very strong if you are for example uh, uh, if you fuse two companies together which have the same goal but you want to uh, you don't want to do everything big bang but you want to um, Increase, um, yeah, you want to migrate piece by piece from one data set from the one company to the other data set of the new company. Then you can put this facade in front, the GraphQL, and you can make sure that um, at some point your GraphQL will, um, your resolvers will query two endpoints. But then after you've migrated, it will only de it will only query one endpoint. But for the client or for the the front end developer or whoever is consuming your data this all stays the same. So they don't see what is happening, but they just uh, see that they can now, so let's say, uh, I don't know, uh, a Dutch uh, energy company and a Belgium energy company are fusing, then uh, they have two separate data systems and that you can fuse into each other based on this. Yeah, so you decouple the, 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 the data uh, providing parts and the functionality part, so then exactly. you can uh, switch yeah. uh, around. Okay, do you see more benefits? You, you now uh, uh, discussed three of them. So one more benefit I, I've seen uh, at companies where we use this is that the amount of innovation is going up. And why is that? Because especially on the front end, you're usually limited to what your backend can offer. But if you have your, your schema defined where everything is available, you can basically go wild with anything you do. So when we have uh, hackathons, when we've had hackathons, people would go crazy on, on the amount of data that they could get. So they, they have no limitation. There's no limitation to your imagination of which data you can get. And that also encourages to be innovative and, and um, you know, put your customers in a, in a great position. Exactly. So where, where normally like you could do this when you have like like a big data lake or a big data warehouse or a big that everybody can go wild on the data, then here you could also go wild on that more limited set of data, which is uh, exposed by the GraphQL. 
but still come up with uh, with a lot of things and uh, a lot of things that the uh, developers or designers of your system didn't come up with uh, at first themselves. Yeah, exactly. But but okay, then then my uh, operations heart starts to beat. Um, if you can go wild on the data, uh, people go wild on the data. How do you protect then the the data for being overloaded with uh, with requests and uh, how how do you keep it performant? Because who's playing a role in that? I think, in my opinion, you have similar challenges as well in in REST. You need, of course, to be careful on setting some query timeouts. You need to to be careful if you want to set a limit on the query depth, like depth, like how much in deep you can go with the query, even with the complexity, or I don't know, even have some white list or, or black list of, of queries that you would like to allow or, or, or not. And, and then there are other concepts, concepts in general, like throttling, but that, that's not specifically about GraphQL. I think it's in general every time you have communication among a client on a server or a server on another server, you, you need to protect your, the moment that you expose data, you need to protect yourself against this, this sort of things. And also, um, maybe to add to that is that you have to protect yourself by making sensible making sensible defaults and requiring sensible parameters so on each query you could say i want that you i i require that you paginate it for example so you can get a maximum of 100 let's say so that means that you are forcing the client to uh, limit itself or you could say i i only want an author to be able to or, or a blog post to have an author but an author not to have blog posts so you cannot go into the cycle of blog posts author blog posts author blog posts author etc so there are there's two ways one is the the monitoring part where you say uh, throttling you know uh, limitation complexity measurement etc on static analysis and the other one is uh, making sure your schema is um, not it's basically designed for performance. Okay, so that was a bit uh, in, in the, the operations part. Uh, going back to uh, what what we use it for, we now discussed. Um, yeah, I think most of the examples were about retrieving data, uh, but REST interfaces uh, you yeah you can use for other things as well, and like uh, for instance uh, the mutation of data. What what, what other options does uh, GraphQL uh, offer? Well, you can always you can also mutate data on on GraphQL. There is also mutations functionality built in, or not built in, sorry, in this specification. While you get a lot of flexibility on the retrieval of data, it is also possible to configure your service, your GraphQL server, to to do mutations on data. So yes, that's possible. While in Bold.com on our implementation, we we use that uh, for for some of the functionality is way more extended the retrieval of data, of course. Yeah, so the mutation in that sense is different from REST, is that REST is everything resource-oriented. So that means that if you have a book and you are, or a blog post and you have an author, you can do one um, update or delete or patch or post on, on, an, on, an, on a book or a post and on an author, but you cannot do a combined one. Well, you could, but then you have to make a specific endpoint which has nothing to do with the resource oriented part where you say update book and author or transfer book to another author right or post sorry if you want to transfer a post to another author you'd have to do yeah something different 
So, and that is, I think, why GraphQL, the specification of GraphQL is so much uh, separated on querying is one part and mutation is another part. And those two are separated. So basically you have to see the mutation part as, as RPCs. You just do, you execute the remote uh, procedure call. You say, okay, execute this function for me with these parameters and then retrieve from me this part of the query part. So basically every time you do a mutation, you can uh, tap into some piece of your query scheme. Query schema. And that's really powerful. With because the purpose let's say, to, to check it, or? Yeah, with the purpose to check it or to retrieve data. So let's yeah. say you want to uh, transfer ownership of a blog post. You would have a mutation called transfer ownership blog post, where the first parameter could be the ID of the blog post, and the second parameter could be the ID of the author. And then uh, the response, so to say, uh, is an object that is both listing the old author the new author and the blog post. And then from that part, you can query inside your query part, which fields of the blog post and the, the author and the new author you want to query. And that is really powerful because then you tap into your query side of the graph again. Yeah, yeah. so altogether it sounds really uh, powerful, not only this part, but uh, but also <laughs> what you can do with, uh, with the uh, selecting part, the query part. So, why aren't we massively over to the to this way of uh, uh, interaction between front end and uh, and backend services? So, in other terms, uh, why what are situations that you shouldn't use GraphQL? So, on the question, why aren't we massively going into GraphQL? I think it's a matter of uh, of years. I think switching front end technologies is much easier than switching backend technologies. Uh, a lot of the things that we have for backend technologies like API gateways that uh, protect uh, our backend uh, landscape, uh, authorization, uh, you know, client, specific client to specific rest and rest endpoint authentication or or uh, authentication or allowance, let's say, uh, those are things that are still in development. And uh, monitoring, for example, as well. And also, I think a lot of the things is, it's it's really hard to it's well not really hard it's it's harder to convert um, your REST endpoints into a graph because the graph is actually a domain model and it needs to be embraced by the whole company convert to a graph because a graph doesn't mean a graph means that you have to you tie into every piece of the organization every piece of your domain model and where you only offering a microservice with a very specific goal, you can just say, okay, here's my endpoints for my resources, get whatever you want. I don't need to care about what else you need. But in this case, in GraphQL, you need to think about, let's say your neighbors. When you are using my data, what is tying into you know, my data as a relation to other data? And that is something that is can be quite complex. And that's why I always say, build it from scratch, but build it small. Start with a very small piece of functionality and then um, expand your graph from there and don't overdo it. So don't make everything at once. Start, but start small. That's what that's what you uh, suggest. <laughs> yes, that's that's what I'm yeah. suggesting. And then, um, yeah, in terms of my experience that I have with, with graphs is that uh, you usually will do it wrong the first time because the knowledge of your data 
and your domain is not yet extended beyond resource oriented, let's say. So maybe uh, Eduardo can uh, see that as the same way. Uh, yeah, it's more or less exactly the same. Uh, I was also thinking that uh, in general, uh, at least in my experience, in, since I started to use it, there are more and more projects using GraphQL. So the popularity is definitely increasing. I don't think, on the other hand, that there will be one time where there will be no rest and everything will be GraphQL. Um, and, and, and especially for what Albert said, that there are still some use cases where you just need a resource, your microservices is small enough, it's very limited the use case of expanding that in the future. So uh, in that case, I would say stick to rest. It's still fine. You will be doing great in the future and, and you don't you won't encounter any problems. It's just that there are a lot of other use cases where GraphQL can help you a lot. So I don't think there are a lot in the internet of this war between REST and GraphQL, but I think there are just two complementary systems. You can just technology, sorry, you can just choose the one that fits better. Exactly, and uh, Albert, you you mentioned start small and then, then expand, and earlier on you, meant, uh, you also mentioned that you have to define a schema and then work from that. So that means that you can adapt that schema and uh, adapt it and make it larger and larger and uh, larger so that you, you can work with, you can actually change it. It's not set yes. in stone in that way, right? No, 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 definitely. And that's also the way of, of like the rhythm of GraphQL is um, define an object or a type of your, uh, that you want your consumers to use. And that's, and then upon that you build resolvers. And then whenever there is new uh, demand for data or different data, then you expand what you have and you add multiple newer properties that have relation to different microservices. And then you uh, make your graph grow. And that's also the nice thing about that it is um, statically, uh, yeah, that you have to define which properties you want. You cannot do select star, let's say. Uh, that's really powerful because that also allows you on the monitoring side and on the refactoring side to see what is actually being used and what can I change without breaking my clients? Because you can make monitoring data of the last, let's say, half a year. And if one property is not being used anytime, then you can easily strip it out or rename it or something like that. And that is also something that's that's really strong in, in the in, in this in this way, because unlike REST, you cannot specify which uh, properties you want. So in REST you cannot do that. But in, and that's also, well, we send a bucket of data to the client, but we don't, maybe it's only using three properties. Exactly. So we yeah. don't know. So we cannot yeah. optimize for it. Yeah. And that's also in this case, let's say maybe you have even a query that touches in one resolver, three different microservices, but your clients are mostly only interested in that one piece of data from one microservice, then you can optimize that and just not calling the other two and putting them in separate resolvers. Exactly. And another way you mentioned stripping out uh, an, an attribute, basically, you could also have like a case that you just make another resolver responsible for getting that attribute because you move that to another database somewhere in another service, right? That's, that's also one of the flexibilities and another layer of exception that uh, GraphQL is offering you. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. Awesome. 
Hey, so, so given all these uh, uh, possibilities, what kind of projects are typically using GraphQL? Or in what, if you're in a certain type of project and you're not yet using GraphQL, you should be scratching your head and, oh, I have to start now. <laughs> what kind of project would what that be? <laughs> for me, if you see that you are building front-ends or back-ends for a front-end, that should be a trigger to use GraphQL. Because Sorry, if you're, if you're building a backend for a front end, what do you mean yeah, with that? So if you're building aggregation layers, yeah, then you should typically use GraphQL because aggregation is basically rewriting code that already existed, um, but now it carries more data. And then you do that one time for one client, and then the second time for your mobile yeah. client, and then the third time for the watch, and the fourth time for, I don't know, Android. Maybe iOS and Android are different, you know. At that moment, you should think about GraphQL because, yeah, there's the, the major point of flexibility. Is it also your experience, Eduardo? Yeah, same here, more or less. Every time I hear the, the word service aggregation in this sense, so maybe a different type of aggregation, but maybe more aggregation on the backend services, I think GraphQL should be a trigger to think if it could help. Because that's exactly for me, in my experience, where, where we get the most of it. I have, you're tricking me with one thing. Right? We are a, a platform, so we, have a, we are having a lot of sellers on our platform. Uh, I think 20% of them is using the, the seller API, the merchant, it is called. Uh, is that also something we use over there? Or is that a bit harder? Because then they have to know this whole... Uh, uh, yes, yeah, setup of our information landscape. Well, I, I don't know exactly the details about, about our merchant API. I think internally we definitely use GraphQL in different parts that are triggered by the merchant API. So that also that's also another very good thing that we can complement a normal, let's say normal REST API with our external sellers via this merchant API. But internally, the merchant API can use a GraphQL aggregation also, service yeah. or layer. So yeah. if in the future uh, we think that we want to play a little bit more with different flexibility on our own external API, I think GraphQL can be a good solution indeed. Yeah, I think also the discoverability of what data do you have on your API is much better uh, because of the, the way data is being, um, the schema is being defined. So your merchant API, I, I don't know the details, of course, but the merchant API, I, I would say, is being used by, you know, platforms that offer uh, details and insights for merchants. Um, but to really offer the right services, you have to know basically everything that's available. And with the rest, it's harder to... Because we, we think in pictures, you know, we are visual visual people. We can draw a circle, we draw a line, and then we draw another circle, etc. REST endpoints aren't that way. They are just a bunch of lines below each other. But if you say, if you can expose your data as a graph, that will also enhance discoverability of your data, which will enhance nice. usage of your API. Yeah. So I would say it's a, it's a very nice use case to use. Cool, sounds cool. Hey, before we go to the closing round, I, I think it's also good to understand, yeah, maybe there are some future developments. What what do we see in the future for GraphQL? Um, new developments? Uh... So I know of um, GraphQL Federation. 
which is a way. So, th so there's GraphQL. GraphQL is basically defining your schema and then calling resolvers based on what query the client sends you. But maybe you want to extend the use of GraphQL also to your microservices. Uh, then it becomes a little bit more complex because how do you make sure that um, that microservice is extending your GraphQL endpoint, right? So what we traditionally, or traditionally, there is not really traditionally in GraphQL because it's so young, but uh, earlier there was schema stitching. So what we did was we took a schema and then we, based on some pointers, we stitched together one schema with another schema and then we basically have one big schema. Now with federation, uh, GraphQL Federation, which is Federated Graph, um, you, instead of defining um, the stitch points, you define what object you want to extend in your microservice. And I think that is really something to look into, um, something that's really powerful also to make a big GraphQL landscape on an enterprise level. Maybe from my side, I think um, a lot of great tooling has been available for uh, GraphQL from the beginning, especially if you think, for example, on Java. There are a lot of Java tools and Java uh, utilities available from the beginning, but a lot of stuff was actually also created by individuals that, yeah, you know, they had to use with Kotlin some query generation. And after a while, that got easily deprecated by a new GraphQL version or so on. So that has been improved a lot. So now you have more officiality and, and, uh, and professionality yeah, on the code, tooling yeah. to yeah. code and, and for the different languages. So I think in the future, we will see way more and more professionality in these external tools and frameworks. And that makes me happy, definitely. Yeah. Becomes yeah. more and more mature, uh, you say. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, Pet Paul, looking at you again. Before closing we go round. to the closing round. Closing round. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, what's the most important uh, takeaway on using GraphQL that you uh, would want to share with the listeners, uh, Albert? I would say if you are going into GraphQL, start small and expand your graph based on, on, on your consumers. So, if your consumer is a front end application, ask your front end engineers what they need. Don't do it the other way around because. Um, the power is in the consumer. So I would say, uh, yeah, that would uh, be my takeaway uh, of, of everything that you uh, you heard. Awesome. And for you, uh, Eduardo? Maybe for me, once more, uh, is the learn your use case. Where what, what are your business area? What are you trying to solve? Understand it. And then learn the tools that you have available. And with the tools, I mean REST, I mean GraphQL, I mean everything in general. And just apply what, what what is the best fit for you, for your use case. Okay, cool, yeah, so that, that means uh, uh, don't for, don't put all the uh, the coins on uh, GraphQL, <laughs> just uh, choose wisely. Yeah. So thanks, uh, uh, Eduardo and uh, Robert, for your time and sharing your stories in, the, in this episode. And I think, yeah, we learned a lot about GraphQL, at least I did, uh, talking about the benefits, but also yeah, when to use it, when not. Uh, so really insightful and uh, also great that you did it based on this example. So it was really easy to refer, okay, that would it look like this and etc. So thanks. Yeah, thanks for your time. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for sharing your insight, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. 
If you liked the episode, check some of the others. Go to Spotify or iTunes, search for Tech Lab and subscribe. Leave a five-star review so others can find the podcast easier and spread the word. We like interactions, so if you have any questions or suggestions, find us on Twitter, LinkedIn or mail techlab at ball.com. Hope to meet you in our next episode. Have fun!